Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. I'm sure most of us, or perhaps all of us, are waiting with a certain degree of bated breath as to what announcements both the UK government and our own government in Edinburgh will make this week concerning the lockdown. Who would have thought that six weeks ago um, we would have still be in the position we are just now, where we're meeting like this as a church. Um, the restrictions on social gatherings are still very much in force, and although some people are obviously breaking them, I can notice that there's a lot more traffic on the roads than there was six weeks ago. Nonetheless, the vast majority of people in our country are following the rules and staying inside, saving the NHS and saving lives. And we're thankful that this appears to have had an impact on the number of people being affected by the virus and those who unfortunately are passing from this earthly existence because of the virus. There is some sign of hope and we're thankful for that. But how we need to pray for our government, again both in Westminster and in Edinburgh, they have big decisions to make. While rightly concerned about people's health and well-being in the physical sense, they also are very much aware, increasingly so, of the impact on people's mental and emotional well-being because of the lockdown and because of the stresses and strains associated with that. And they're also concerned about the very real problems that our economy will face and indeed will increasingly face if we cannot return, at least in some measure, to working life. We need to pray for our government, for Nicola and for Boris and for everybody associated with them. They need the wisdom of Solomon in order to be able to weigh up the different opportunities and challenges, the different potentials for encouragement, but also the different problems that can arise if the lockdown is lifted too early. They need God's help, and whether they consciously seek it or not, we as God's people need to pray for them so that in this coming week, and indeed the weeks that lie ahead, whatever changes might be made, whatever release of the lockdown might take place, they will know wisdom that comes from above. But of course, it's not just the leaders of our country that need that wisdom. We, as God's people, are meant to be people of wisdom. The book of Proverbs speaks of wisdom incarnate, the one who is Jesus Christ, the one who brings the light of life into our minds and into our hearts. And we are meant to bear witness to that, especially in these challenging and confusing times. And I think as God by his Spirit has led us over these past weeks in our reflections and our studies, we've seen that God's concern is for us to have that mind of Christ so that we can interpret the signs of the times, so that we can live with different values and a different understanding of what's happening, so that we can enter into Christ's understanding when he went to Jerusalem. And he knew that despite all the pain and trial that he was going to undertake, God was in that. I must go to Jerusalem. I must go through Good Friday in order that the glory of the resurrection would be revealed and would be seen. That divine thinking, that divine plan, that divine mind is what God's people are called to have. We referred last Sunday to the second letter of Corinthians, and I encourage you again this morning to turn to that part of God's Word. It's in 2 Corinthians that Paul makes an amazing statement when at the end of the early part of the letter, or rather it's 1 Corinthians, he makes this amazing statement where writing to that church in Corinth, he speaks about this. He says, we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. What's Paul saying there? He's saying that as Christians, 
through faith in Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, taking from Jesus and making him known to us, we can enter into something anyway of the understanding that God has about our world, about our universe, about our lives, and about what's going on. That is mind-boggling. That is a wisdom that truly comes from above. That's an insight and understanding that only the Spirit of God can bring into the human heart and mind. Indeed, in 2 Corinthians, he expands upon that. And as I say, I would encourage you to refer to that. In 2 Corinthians, he speaks about how God, by his Spirit, illuminates hearts and minds and fills us with a knowledge of God that, humanly speaking, would not be possible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this in verse 3. He says, the gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing. And unfortunately, we see that being worked out even in our present time. Many of us would have hoped that there would have been a far greater turning to God than seems to be evidenced. As I speak to people who are living in the real world and spend time with people who are not believers, I have to say the feedback I'm getting isn't that there isn't a widespread turning to God, a widespread seeking after spiritual reality. That may happen. Who knows what will take place over these coming weeks, months, and years. But at the moment, although there are some who definitely are being stirred spiritually, the vast majority of people still seem to be veiled in their understanding of the gospel. That shouldn't surprise us. God's word makes it clear that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, he says, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But he says that for believers, for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, the God who said, light, light, shine out of darkness, has made his, his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Let me read that again. The God who said, light, light, shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That divine infusion of the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. That's how Paul can say we can have the mind of Christ, the Spirit of God taking from Jesus and making him known to us. The God who said, let light shine in the darkness is the one who enlightens our minds. That is vital. Corinth was a very lively church in many ways. The city of Corinth was a very lively city in many ways. It was a city taken over to the sensual. The city taken over to the senses, the city taken over by that which was subjective. That was seen in all the various pagan temples and the various rituals of immorality that took place in the wider society. But it was also seen within the life of a church, a church that was caught up in how things felt, on, on the subjective experience, on a very personalised, if it feels right for me, then I should do it, even within the life of the church. And that, of course, led to great excesses and also to great immorality within God's people. Paul's antidote, indeed God's word's antidote to that subjective, self-centered, and ultimately idolatrous form of Christianity is a Christianity that focuses on the mind being transformed by God. Do not be conformed to this, what Paul tells the church in Rome, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That is vital in these days ourselves, that we're not tossed about, that we're not captivated by emotions, that we don't, as I said last Sunday, indulge in spiritual navel-gazing. 
but that we look up and look out. The same things I've been saying over these past weeks are fundamentally true, not just to a time like this, but to any time that we're called to live within. But Paul in 2 Corinthians says that because of God's work on his mind and the way in which God's light of truth has been revealed and been shone into his heart, he can say, he can say with confidence that, that they do not lose heart. He goes on in 2 Corinthians to speak about that. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4, therefore, he says, we do not lose heart. And that's important. Because, as I say, whatever happens this week, whatever announcements are made by the government this week, it's not all going to suddenly go back to normal. The lockdown's not going to be lifted. We're not going to be able to return to the way things were. Both within society and within the church, things have changed. And it's unlikely they'll return to the way they used to be, at least not for the foreseeable future. It'd be easy for us to lose heart. But God's mind... God's Spirit fills us with that confidence that He alone knows the future, He alone holds our lives in His hands, and therefore we do not lose heart. Look at what Paul says in verse 7 of chapter 4. We have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay, to show that there's all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always been given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What's Paul saying there? He's saying that the mind of Christ, the light of the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ, has shone into his mind and therefore transformed not only how he thinks, but how he feels. That enables him to know that God is at work that the life of Jesus, as he says, is being revealed in his body, in his daily life. That's our prayer, isn't it? That as we journey through these days and journey through our life, that the life of Jesus would be revealed in us. Not us with a wee kind of coating of Jesus, but Jesus. May the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, as the old chorus says it. Indeed, he goes on later on in chapter 4 to say how vital that is is. In verse 9 of chapter 5, rather, he says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether it be whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. We make it our goal to please him. Our lives are to be the means by which the beauty of Jesus is seen and revealed. That means that we see trials as being a, 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 a bedding area, you might say, a nursery, where the seeds of God's Word planted in our lives produce that good fruit that endures. Now, of course, that's very contrary to how most of us think. It's our human instinct to want to avoid challenge and trial. We have that self-protection, which indeed in many ways is very sensible, so that we don't stick our hand in the fire or step out in front of the traffic or the lorry or put ourselves in a place of danger. There is that self-preserving instinct. That is the human mind that preserves our bodies. But for the Christian, 
for the Christian, we see things somewhat differently. Not that we're careless about life, not that we do stick our hands in the fire or walk in front of the lorry, but that we see what happens in life as God's way of refining, deepening, and renewing a relationship with him. That's why he can say we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed carrying out in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. That's an important truth for us to take hold of. That can only happen as we allow our minds be transformed, as we begin to think in a Christ-like way. The Jesus who said, I must go to Jerusalem and endure all that took place there. Do you see the connections? Do you see the way that they're linked together? Not random things, but things are all related together and connected together in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those of us who are his followers journey with him. That's what Jesus meant when he said we must take up our cross and follow him. The journey to Jerusalem, the trials of life, are God's means for bringing him glory and us growing in our salvation. And secondly, and indeed lastly, he goes on to speak um, verse 13 of chapter 4, he says this, It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal home in heaven, not built by human hands. As I said earlier, the government is going to have to weigh up many, many different, in some ways almost conflicting things, in order to be able to discern the way ahead. They rightly are concerned for individual people and their lives and the consequences of that, but they also have the bigger issue, the issue of our economy, the issue of our society, the issue of our ability to pay our way in the world and to be able to provide for the health service and all these other things. These big pictures... The macro picture is, is vital if we're going to understand how to do things in a more micro kind of way. The government has to weigh that up. We need to pray for them, as I said at the beginning. But for the Christian, we too need to have that macro, that bigger picture. That bigger picture is eternity. Paul speaks about these light and momentary troubles, troubles and achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He speaks about even if our earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. He speaks about how he knows that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. That eternal perspective, again, the Spirit of God, taking from Jesus, making it known to us, transforming our minds, changing our hearts, and giving us that big perspective that we live with eternity constantly, the environment in which we live. That is vital, is it not? Especially at the moment 
when we are aware of how frail life can be and of how suddenly someone can be impacted, not just by the virus, but whose lives can be impacted by all the consequences and the troubles we see in our society around about us. People are aware, perhaps in a new way or a fresh way, of their frailty. That is God's mean, as we saw a few weeks ago when we made reference to the book of Lamentations and the fact that there is a, a the book of Ecclesiastes and that there is a time for every activity under heaven. And we saw that verse, we just glanced at it really, but how God has done that because he has placed eternity within our human hearts. That awareness of our frailty, that awareness of that bigger picture, that is how we are made. And we're made like that so that we would have trust and confidence in the God who alone is eternal. We need to live in that environment. We need to think with that perspective, for only then will how we decide our daily lives, how we view and how we weigh up the challenges we may well have to weigh up over these coming weeks about where we should go and is it right to do this or to do that or do other, all of that will be informed and will indeed be determined by that eternal perspective that comes when we have the mind of Christ. We're going to look more at these verses next Sunday. That's sufficient for now. We pray for our government, for the wisdom of Solomon to be given to them. But we pray for God's people that we would grow in our knowledge of the mind of Christ so that we might see things, we might perceive things, and so that we might live ourselves with that self, with that confidence, not in self, but in the God who in Jesus Christ raised him from the grave and has purposed a people for his glory through him. That big perspective determines how we live Monday to Friday in this coming week. Let's pray together. God our Father, we do pray for our government at this time as they weigh up tremendous different challenges, both their concern and their right concern for individual people and their lives and our well-being, but also as they take into account that bigger story of our society, of our economy, of the well-being and provision for our future. And so we do pray for our Prime Minister and First Minister and all those who have leadership in our country, for the scientists who have heavy responsibilities as they make recommendations or as they caution about certain action. We do pray for them and we ask that they would know, whether they consciously seek it or not, they would know that wisdom that comes from above. But Lord, we also pray for your church in our land in these days. We have been doing so every week over these past weeks and we continue to do so, that we would have a growing confidence in the mind of Christ that we would know more and more the light of the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ shining into our minds and therefore transforming our hearts so that we not only think differently, but we feel differently. Our feelings come out of a mind transformed by you. We need your help in that. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to do that work within us. And so we ask, O Holy Spirit, that you would continue to renew our minds, that we would have that God-centered perspective, and that as we continue to reflect and pray, and as we will continue to read through this section of your word in the weeks that lie ahead, we ask that we would continue to grow up into him who is the head, even Jesus Christ, your Son and our only Saviour.
in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.